Story two of Trolley Folly by Henry Wallace Phillips. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story two. The Numismatist. Possession is nine points of the law. Self-possession, the tenth. Election Day, 96, was big medicine and terrapin. Miners all down from the upper camps, shouting free silver and morose about John Sherman. All the cowboys from the immediate vicinity were in. The immediate vicinity of any point in the northwest is a good big scope of country, say as far as two men can ride fast in as many days as it takes to get there. In Brown's Bank, there was a sound of deviltry by night. Them back from the bar couldn't get back. A damsel with a dulcimer was dispensing sweet strains, and a minority of the convention thought they was singing to keep her from feeling conspicuous, each delegate voting for a different tune. The toot onksum was calculated to make an escaped lunatic homesick. In the middle of this dispensation, I comes in late. I endeavored to attract the attention of the bar creature by shouting and sign talk, for I wanted to do my duty. I know I yelled, for I could feel my jaw waggle and my breath give out, but I couldn't hear nothing. No one would take my money. Some one or two drinks were handed to me, however, a handful of cigars and six dollars change. Them free silver fellows sure believed what they said. So I looked round in search of distraction. Five deep they stood around the pharaoh and roulette layouts. Dealers looked like a Turkish bath from raking in money and shoving over chips. One feller at the pharaoh table had more'n six bushel of checks and was betting with a shovel. I made for the poker rooms. Both locked. I hammers. Shove your money under the door, yells someone inside, and go away. Here was a fine howdy-do. Six months' wages in my pocket, and no action in sight. I went out in front to hear myself think. On the porch sat a man, unostentatious, hugging his knee, observing of the moon. I shoved a cigar at him. He nods, sticks it in his face, and hands me up matches over his shoulder. I likes his looks. And his saying nothing sounded good, too, for my eardrums were jarred clear to my ankles. I found out later that he wasn't always silent. He was a sort of human layer cake that way. Big slabs of talk and thin streaks of keeping still. He didn't look quite like a cowboy. Cowboy's eyes is all puckered up by sun and wind. Nor quite like a miner. His hands was white. But they wasn't tin-horned hands. Not by no means. He wasn't drunk, and I couldn't understand him at all. So I felt around. Stranger? says I. He nods. Miner? Hunts? Cowboy? Hunts? Everything else wants. Just now, I'm a numismatist. 
I sat down by him to show that didn't make no difference to me. Is it very bad? I says, kind of solemn and hush-like. A collector of rare coins, he explains, laughing. His laugh was good, too. Oh, I see. Got any of them with you? Just one. Be careful of it, he says, and hands it to me. I holds it up to the light. "'Twas a common old iron dollar. "'Broke?' "'He straightened up indignantly. "'Not on your life. "'That's no counterfeit,' he says. "'I liked him. "'I felt friendly. "'My experience is that the difference "'between the friend that can help you but won't "'and the enemy that would hurt you but can't "'isn't worth notice. "'So I dug.' When I gave his dollar back, I slid five yellow twenties with it. He looks them over carefully, feeling of them, edges and both sides with his fingertips. Very interesting, he says. Very beautiful. How clear the lettering is. And he hands them back. They're yours, stranger, says I, for your collection. He swells up. Not much. I'd beg before I'd accept charity. You don't understand me, I says, sparring for time. I'm in as a sporting venture. I'm superstitious. Men with the wad always lose it. So why shouldn't a broke man win? Take it and win us a home. Oh, that's different, says Stranger. I accept with pleasure. The more so as I have an infallible system of winning at roulette. Founded on long observation. Yeah? Says I, beginning to feel sorry for my hundred. Yes, I have observed that if you play enough, you always lose. You just mathematically must. The percentage is a scientific certainty. My system is to bet high, win, and quit before you begin to lose. How did you ever study it out? Says I beginning to be glad about my investment again. I never tried that way, but it sounds promising. Such being the case, I got a hunch, says Stranger. Here goes for a gold chain or a wooden leg. Take my hand and watch me peer into the future. We wiggled through to the table after a while. The dealer was a voluptuous swell, accentuated with solid gold log chains and ruby rings where convenient. I knew him. He wore a copyrighted smile losing and a nasty sneer when he won. An overbearing man and opportune, Frenchy, addicted to killing his fellow man in sheer self-defense during the absence of his assailant's friends. Such was his unrefuted statement, the dead gentlemen having never given their testimony. He had been so fortunate in his protections that lots of folks rarely ever went out of their way to annoy him. Stranger began hostilities by depositing a twenty on the black. Red ensued. Another twenty on black. Black comes. Frenchy shoved over a ten and Stranger looked pained. I bet twenty dollars, he said, lifting his brows. Ten dollars is the limit for any one bet, snaps Frenchy, 
rolling the ball again. Don't delay the game. Better give up your place. But you took my twenty. He stopped the wheel. No bets this world, says Stranger. The crowd stopped talking and sidestepped for an alibi in case a gentleman should engage in self-defense. Frenchy bears his teeth and snarls. You lost. I got the mun. Why didn't you inquire? You ought to understand that game before you buck it. This is my game, and my rules goes, see? I see, said Stranger, quiet. Give me tens for these twenties, please. Snickers from the crowd. Frenchy had them buffaloed to a standstill. All the same, they had no use for a fellow that let his rights be trampled on this way. And yet, Stranger didn't look no ways like a man of patient proclivities, given to turning the other cheek. Some wise ones cast their chips when they remarked his easy smile. When Frenchy began to roll again, we had the table mostly to ourselves. I moves over by the wheel to watch the lookout, him having a game eye and a propensity to be sole witness for Frenchy when his life was attempted. I will now declare myself as for W.J. Bryan, says Stranger, dropping ten each on the squares marked sixteen to one. Twenty-seven, red, odd, and McKinley, drones Frenchy, and scoops our thirty. Stranger strings thirty more on sixteen two and one. Nine black odd, great Republican gains. Frenchy's sing-song was plumb exasperating. Stranger adorns his three numbers again with his last thirty, and, as an afterthought, puts his rare old iron dollar on single O. Single green, chants Frenchy. Populist, by jingo, I says, as Frenchy rakes the three tens and pays em, with five more, to the green. Ten each on sixteen, two, one. Then he planks a six on double green. I hate a piker, he states, and double O came. Alfalfa, I yells. Grangers forever. Things was looking up now, but Stranger was no ways concerned. Six thirty-fives is two hundred and ten. Six I had makes two sixteen. Hold on till I make a purdy. He bets ten straight on sixteen, ten on each corner, ten on each side, same play for two, and a lone ten on the unit. I never seen a board look so plump ridiculous. Hope springs infernal in the human breast. Let her go, Hannah, he says. A short life and a merry one. The ball spun nearly two weeks. Sixteen black and even, remarks Frenchy. I take a swift glance at the wheel then to corroborate my ears. And Brian, suggests Stranger. Brian, Brian, yells the crowd. Miners and cowboys is Democrats ex officio, and Frenchy's surreptitious habit of defending himself was endearing Stranger to him. Besides, he was winning. That helps with the crowds. Paying them bets was complex. 
we was over eleven hundred to the good on the turn other business was suspended and the crowd lined up leaving the gladiators the center of the stage in a twenty-foot lane so they could have plenty of air i will now avenge the crime of seventy-three remarks stranger i'm getting it trained he made the same layout strike me dead if the ball didn't jump in a pocket out and back and out again and deliberated between two and thirty-five and while the wheel went around fourteen times you could have heard the split second hand on a stopwatch in the next county while it balanced and at last roped walked down in two two red even says frenchy in a shocked voice like he was seeing things at night no one could yell it was a catching of their breath and we lays by twelve hundred and fifty more before proceeding with my witchcraft says stranger i would ask you to set your valuation of layout lookout license and goodwill because he says any fool can see that the ball stops on the one this time science poetry logic romance sentiment and justice point to it like spokes on a hub if you're going to bank with that chicken feed jerking his chin toward the shattered fragments of the bank roll you'll have to lower your limit before i play oh i'm learning fast frenchy looks unhappy well there wasn't nothing to say his pile wasn't big enough to pay if stranger's predictions was accurate bring me my sack brown he calls out brown opens his safe and lugs over the sack frenchy pours it out on the table ten thousand dollars bills of all sizes from five to a thousand and a coffee pot full of gold shoot he says you're faded stranger eclipses the one spot with ten dollar bills ten each on corners the four sides and the middle it's a sure thing we'd just as well have some side money he says betting ten each on black odd first column first dozen and one to eighteen mr brown he says the gentleman who runs the game will hand you seventy dollars when the ball stops drinks for the crowd while it lasts and drops ten each on sixteen and two for luck a buzz the ball hums a cheerful ditty like hot coffee on a cold day buzz click frenchy goes into a trance chewing his mouth he moistens his lips and makes an effort one black and odd his voice was cracked and horrified what a pleasant dream i thinks it's a shame to wake up and wrangle horses but it must be near day i tries to open my eyes but couldn't twas no dream of avarice stranger was just visible above a pyramid of deferred dividends great democratic gains he announces gentlemen in fact all of you 
What do you have? I guess that includes me, all right, states a big miner. Strictly speaking, I don't want no drink now, but if you just as soon tell me what color my old pack mare's next coat will be, I should be obliged. No one wanted a drink. Nobody moved. More miracles was what they wanted. What? No drinks? says Stranger. Prohibition landslide in Terrapin? Can I believe my ears? Or my nose? Well, then, I will pursue my hellish purpose. I appeal to the calm judgment of this crowd. If they ever heard of an election without repeaters, but he doesn't let his gaze wander to the crowd, none whatever. He never taken both eyes off Frenchy to once, since the limit had been pulled on him. He decorated the board just as it was the last time, and looks on with pleased expectancy while the ball spins. But I hope I may be saved if it didn't come a repeater. Stranger yawns as he pulls in thirteen hundred and twenty dollars. Thanking you your kind of attention, he states. The entertainment is now concluded. Will someone trust me for a sack? Feet cold? sneers Frenchy. Oh, no, I'm quite comfortable. But I might lose if I kept on, Stranger explains. Those numbers may not come again for ever so long. This is a piking game, anyhow. I like to bet my money in large chunks. You seem to be a sort of a Democrat, suggests Frenchy. Why not back up your views? Here's 7,000, says McKinley's elected. Why, that's my game, says Stranger, beaming. That's just what I wanted. Ryan's going to sweep the country from Dan to Milwaukee. I gives him the nudge, for I sees our pile a glimmering. I don't mind betting on cards or horses and such, but politics is tricky. Buddy prattles on, plumb carried away by the courage of his convictions. Frenchy's nose dented. Why, I learned later, but I'll tell you now. Terrapin was sixty miles from a telegraph office, and all right-minded citizens were here present. But this sure thing sport knowing we was all for Brian, had posted our relay on the north trail to bring him news. It was now way past midnight. He had known McKinley was in since about the time I was staking stranger, and poor innocent confiding stranger walks right into his trap. Even money? asks Frenchy. I would surely scorn to take such advantage of you says stranger i'll give you a chance for your white alley i will now proceed to divide my capital into five parts the first part contains fifteen hundred dollars which i bet you against five hundred dollars that brian is our next president i will then bet you fifteen hundred even that brian carries thirty-six states a list of which i will make out and seal Third pile, $2,000, gives you a chance to break even, if you're lucky. Give me odds of five to one 
and I bet this two thousand that Brian carries four other states, names of which will also be deposited under seal, was stakeholder. Pile number four, five hundred dollars, goes even that I made a good bet. Number five, one hundred and sixty-six dollars, goes in my pocket for tobacco and postage stamps and other luxuries. You're delirious. Your money's a gift, says Frenchy. Make out your agreements. It'll take more than I got to cover that five-to-one bet but I can borrow the Northern Pacific on that proposition. He takes Brown off for a confidential and comes back with the money by the time Stranger had the bet in writing and signed. Frenchy reads it aloud. You are all witnesses, he says, and slaps his fist to it. Name your stakeholder. Put it in Mr. Brown's safe. Money, agreement, and my two lists of states. Decide tomorrow at 5 p.m. when the stage comes in. They makes a bundle of it and locks it up. And now, says Stranger to me, my presentiments points for bed. Why couldn't you quit when I wanted you to, you idiot? I says. You made the worst break I ever see. You certainly surprise me. Haven't I raised you to a position of opulence by my acumen and foresight? Your ingratitude grieves me to the heart's core, and just when we stand to more than double our money, too. Acumen? Foresight? I jeers. T'was blind bulldog damn fool luck. I furnished all the judgment used when I tried to stop you. I put up the money, and you had a right to hearken to me. You're my partner, says he calmly. Half this money is yours and all, if you need it. But I lost your money. This here's the proceeds of my iron dollar. By tomorrow night, we'll have 11,000 anyway. And here you're complaining. I do hate a quitter. And I hate a fool. You have a chance to win one bet, and that's all. You'll regret this hasty speech tomorrow night. Follow me and you'll wear diamonds. Yes, on the seat of my pants, I rejoined bitterly. And all them somewhat diverse prophecies came to pass. When we woke, after noon, it was pretty well known how the election went, and we was guide unmerciful. But Stranger wasn't no ways dejected. Rumor, mere rumor, out of the nettle danger we may pluck the flower safety, he spouts, waving his hands like a windmill. I've been in worse emergencies and always emerged. I was considerable sore and was for not showing up to turn over the money, but he persuaded me. At the worst, Frenchy owes me ten that I won fair on the second bet last night, he says. If I have to collect that, I aim to charge him something for collecting. I had that in mind last night, if the green hadn't come when my dollar was on it. I sees reason in this and oils my guns. Frenchy was waiting with his lookout, gay and cheerful. Did you bring your sack? was his greeting. Oh, no, I forgot. 
Hi, bud. Stranger gives a boy five dollars. Bring an ore sack to the barkeep for me. And keep the change. We gets brown with a package of stake money and prognostications on our way through the crowd to a back room. Brown busts the package and begins the hollow mockery. Bet number one. He reads the specifications. Brian loses. Any objections? Stranger shakes his head, sorrowful, and pushes over the $2,000 packet. Bet number two. Brian breaks the list of 36 states. For Brian, he reads, Connecticut, New York, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota. His feelings overcome him, and he laughs till the tears roll down his face. Frenchy leers, and the lookout rocks himself back and forward. And to cap it off comes a knock, and the barkeep comes in with the sack stranger ordered. They howled. I'll give you a ten for your sack, gasps Frenchy. You needn't rub it in, says Stranger, injured. I certain was mistook in them estimates. Pass on to the next. Third bet, wheezes Brown. He wipes his cheeks and tears open a list of four states. Brian will carry, he begins. He turns pale, his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth, and his eyes bugged out so you could hang your hat on him. Texas, he screeches. Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina. And I made a good bet, observed Stranger, popping the rest of the money into the sack. What? yells Frenchy. You were to name four additional states, forty in all. Oh, no, four others. These four were not in my list of thirty-six. You lost, and I've got the mun. Why didn't you inquire? You ought to understand a game before you play it. This is my game, and my rules go. See? Stranger's gun was dangling on his right hip, but as Frenchy drew, Stranger's right hand caught his gun and all, and Stranger's left produced a forty-five from nowhere at all and proceeded to bend it over Frenchy's head. The tin horn couldn't get his right hand loose, so he reached around with his left, jerked Stranger's gun from his hip, but he only wasted time snapping it, for that one wasn't loaded. I thought maybe Brown and the lookout would double up on my partner, but they didn't. They just shoved the two pits of their two stomachs up against the muzzles of my two guns and looked foolish. Nuff, screams Frenchy, letting go his gun. He looks like a ration day at Rosebud. Me and Stranger walks out, sticking closer than brothers, lock-stepping back to back. What did I tell you, says Stranger, turning in at the butcher's shop. And there he asks, may we use the scales, and pours our ill-gotten gains into both scoops till they balance. Take your choice, partner, he says. You're short on faith, but you're hell on works. Next to a restaurant. 
Before our order comes, in steps Billy Edwards. He was a deputy sheriff, but white. Would you mind my asking your name? Cause Frenchy doesn't know. He's swearing out a warrant for you, alleging assault with intent to kill, says Billy politely. They haven't given me the warrant yet. Of course, if they had, I wouldn't tell you this, for you might get away before I found you. I'd never thought to ask his name. Artemis G. Jones, says he, and he stuck his thumb in his vest. Sit down and take supper with us. Or, ahem, er, what does the G stand for? Artie looked embarrassed. Galatians, he sighs. What? Was you named after? I was named, says Artie, after a family scrap. Can't you suppress it? Artemis G. ought to identify me. I, I thought it might spell easier, says Billy. After supper, we walks over and gets the warrant. Billy arrests Artie and disarms him. You know your business. I'll make any kind of bet on that, says Billy. But in your place, I should have been far away on a bounding bronco. We went to be tried before Judge Elliot. Frenchy kept a jackleg lawyer named Satterley, and he was helping persecute. Have you legal advice, prisoner? says his honor. A little, says Artie softly. Proceed, call the plaintiff. Frenchy took the stand and told a terrible tale of wanton robbery and brutal and provoked violence. He had won an election bet from prisoner, and prisoner had taken the money by force. He showed his wounds. He sure looked like he had been playing goat with a buzzsaw. Brown and the lookout was good witnesses. What they let out when the judge questioned them, that Artie had the money in his sack before the trouble began, and that Frenchy had a gun, and not a word about my presence of mind. Artie allowed he wouldn't cross-examine them. His honor was riled. Will you take the stand, sir? He says. Artie stretches. Oh, no. I guess it's not worthwhile to take up your time. Oh, oh, oh he says, yawning. Judge was furious. Prisoner, if you got any witnesses in your defense, call them. As the evidence stands, up you go. Artie placed himself on top of his feet. Your Honor, he says, call Billy Edwards. Billy gives his name, sex, color, and other essentials. Then, says Artie, you arrested me tonight. Yes. Was my gun loaded? One of them was empty. The other one had five cartridges in it. Edwards promptly asserts. Was the loaded one bloody? Awful. That's all, says Artie with a gracious wave of his hand, dismissing the witness. Your Honor... Our friend the Gaul, alias Frenchy, is before you. I am refined by nature. One gentle pull on the trigger would have removed all doubt. He would have been dead dead. He isn't. I move that my client, Artemis G. Jones, me, 
I myself, will be discharged and plaintiff reprimanded for a frivolity in taking up the time of the court. Had I wished to kill this jigger, I certainly would have shot him. The gun that was bloody was the gun of Artemis, and Artie paid the whole blame court a compliment by the way he retired. Frenchy's lawyer began to holler, but the judge cut him quick. "'Sit down, Mr. Satterley,' says he. "'Unless you can prove that your client is dead, the court will pursue the course indicated by the learned counsel for defense.' "'Slaw,' says Satterley. "'I'm down. Set him up in the other alley.' End of story two. Recording by Tom Penn.